But three questions we'll hope to answer in this time a little bit. Uh, what is prayer? Why pray? And how do I pray effectively? Um, the why pray, a lot of people wrestle with that. Why do you pray if God knows everything? Like, what's the point of praying, you know? Why do you pray if God doesn't answer, he doesn't seem to answer most of my prayers? Why should I keep praying? You know, those are real things that people struggle with. And, um, and that's okay. I want to say that too. It's okay to struggle with things. And, and prayer is definitely something that people struggle with, you know. Um, I've been to a, lot, you know, a number of pastors' conferences. And, and if the subject of prayer comes up, you know, all of us are like, yeah, we could pray more, you know. Uh, and it's just a thing. It's hard to do, you know. Um, and so hopefully today will be, you know, a little helpful for these things. And um, you know, so that's where we're going. So. Okay, when a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When he stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. When she stops praying, the devil shouts for joy, says Corey Tenboom. D.L. Moody said, Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling individual. It's interesting, you study revivals, and they all started, you know, it's like ones that the historians have documented, they all started with people being called to pray in groups. I know of no better thermometer, Spurgeon says, to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. It's a thermometer that measures your spiritual intensity, uh, the the intensity of your prayer, the, the temperature of your spiritual life. So I had like 250 quotes. I'm not going to read them all. Just kidding. There's so many, you know, just go Google prayer quotes and there's all kinds of them. Those were some that I thought brought up the importance of prayer and how, um, how we need to know about it and more importantly, how we need to do it, right? So number one, let's look at what is prayer. First of all, I thought it'd be helpful to talk about what prayer is not. So there's confusion about this. Um, I remember a few years ago, this made me think of, you know, a few years ago in this town, there was a boy that was battling cancer. He since went to be with the Lord. And it was big on Facebook. And everybody's posting, you know, prayers for this guy, prayers for this guy. And then so I was, you know, on social media at that time, and I would look. And, and I, I noticed something that was standing out to me in the comments on Facebook, you know. And people, well-meaning people, and I'm not criticizing their heart in any of this stuff. So don't, don't think that. But a lot of these comments would say stuff like, sending good vibes to you. The next comment would say, prayers to you. You know, the next one would say, you know, you know, interceding to the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf or something like that, you know. But there were just a number of these comments that would say, prayers to you. And that always stuck out to me because, you know, I, I think, well, that's not right. That's not right. You're not sending your prayers to other people. So first of all, what is prayer not? It's not sending good vibes to people. It's not thinking, wishing them well. It's not, you know, visualization, you know, like the New Age movement talks about visualizing, you know, like you picture the new car that you're going to have and like you do that enough and eventually you start to attract it to yourself, the law of attraction. That's not prayer. Um, Asking the universe for things that's not prayer. And then praying to another individual, that's not prayer, right? So it's a good thing to, to get out of the way. It, it bothered me the most because I saw people on these comment threads that were Christians, you know? And you think, well, you don't really know too much about theology or, you know, to say that you're praying to this other person. You're not praying to these parents that are struggling with their boy dying, you know? And so 
It's like, is it splitting hairs? Well, not really. You know, it's who the whole thing is directed to. It's, it speaks of what they would think prayer is about. So first of all, what prayer is not, um, it's, it's none of those things that I just mentioned. Prayer is to God. So the very basic definition that you could give it is you could say prayer is talking with God. That's the simplest way you could say it. Um, and I say talking with God rather than talking to God because it's a conversation. It's a two-way conversation. Not that God speaks with an audible voice to you. I mean, you know, I've never had that happen in my life. I don't know anybody that's had that happen. I've had people tell me, well, I've had an audible, almost audible voice. I've heard God tell me, stop it, you know, pretty close to like audible voice, you know, a few times in my life. But it's a conversation, right? And so it's talking with God. So that's if you're a note taker and you wanted to know what is prayer, hey, there it is. It's prayer is talking with God. It's not addressed to people. Let me give you some examples of it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. After the whole Cain and Abel uh, fiasco and then Adam and Eve had another kid, in Genesis 4, 26, at the end of that verse, it says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's the first account in the Bible where anything is said about prayer. And it's after Cain and Abel, this whole bad situation. And after this chaos, now at this time, people started calling on the Lord, right? Um, there's the, you know, and this is proving that prayer is addressed to God, right? Genesis 4.26, they called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham, you guys know, um, all through, you know, the accounts of Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, uh, Abraham was talking uh, to God and he said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing that I go childless? Remember, he didn't have a kid and God said, look, I'm going to give you a son. And he was talking to God directly multiple times through the book of Genesis. Uh, Moses how about, uh, you know, in the book of Exodus, there's just all these people. Remember the golden calf incident, right? You remember God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. He comes down off the mountain and he comes back to the people and they've made a golden calf and they're having like a, the equivalent of like a rave party around this like golden calf. You know, they're like having Woodstock, you know, and they're all, everybody's doing all these things they, they shouldn't be doing. And God, and Moses comes down and is like, he starts to talk to God and he goes, um, Lord, why have you brought, you know, uh, trouble on these people, you know, because God's going to kill them, you know, and... Uh, Interesting, you know, like, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's God, you know, Moses was talking to God is the point. And then you have, jo you know, Jacob, Joshua, the, the judges, uh, Job, the whole book of Psalms is like David talking to God. You have Isaiah talking to God, Amos talking to God. So prayer is not those other things I mentioned. Prayer is talking with God. Turn to Matthew, if you would, Matthew chapter 6. I'm sorry, it wasn't Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 6. You should already be close by. Then look at verse 9, starting at verse 9. This is Jesus now teaching his disciples. The disciples came to him and said, look, teach us to pray. And um, this is what he said in verse 9 of Matthew 6. He said, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus is saying right there that prayer is addressed to who? Our Father, right? Prayers addressed to God. Now, so what are some elements of prayer? We're talking about, this is under the heading of what is prayer. What are some elements of prayer? Well, some people use this uh, formula called the ACTS formula. Has anybody ever heard of that? The ACTS prayer formula? You guys have heard it? Uh, A-C-T-S, adoration, 
uh, confession, thankfulness, supplication, right? Those things. And, and it's kind of a suggested model for prayer. I mean, that's good. Um, use that for a number of years. You could maybe even make it simpler yet. And you could say that prayer, essentially what you see in the Bible, there are three elements, there are three main types, I guess you would, of prayer. The first one would be praise and worship, worshiping God through prayer. Uh, the, the second one would be petition, which is just a, you know, I don't know if you use that word very often, petition. You go to your mom, mom, may I petition you for some cookies? You know, I don't know. But it just means to ask, you know, that's all it means. And then the last type would be intercession or praying for others, interceding for others. So <laughs> praise and worship, petition, or uh, praying for others, intercession. Examples of praise and worship prayer. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. I'm just going to read you some Bible verses. If you're a Bible flipper and you can keep up with me, God bless you. You might get a paper cut on your finger. But if you have one of these like digital Bibles these days, you can probably do it. Exodus 15, 11. It says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Right? worshiping God in prayer. You begin your prayer and you say, who is like you, God? There's nobody like you among all these false gods. Everybody's this. There's nothing like you. You're the true and real deal. That's worshiping God in prayer. Psalm chapter 3, verse 3. Psalmist says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. He's praising God for his protection Psalm chapter 77, verse 13. There's tons of them in the Psalms, by the way. I mean, I just picked some that sounded good to me this week. Psalm 77, 13 says, Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great is our God? You guys are like, yeah, Chris Tomlin, man. How great is our God? Sing with me, how great. Psalm 86, verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. Man, those are good things. And the, the psalmist is praising him. Those are examples of praise and worship prayers. How about in Jesus' uh, prayer in Matthew chapter 6, where we started, he said, Our Father, hallowed be your name. He's saying, Holy is your name. Altogether separate. You're separate from your creation. There's no impurity in there. There's no darkness in you. You are hallowed. And he's worshiping. He's praising. He's showing um, that that's, uh, you know, praise and worship directed to the Father. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. If you want to um, learn how to pray, man, Acts, the prayers in Acts are really good of the early church. This one in Acts chapter 4. I love this one in Acts uh, chapter 4, because um, they start praying like this after they all get beat up by the Sanhedrin. You guys remember the, the Jewish uh, religious establishment pulls in these Christians and says, look, you got to stop talking about Jesus. And then they say, hey, if it's right for us to obey you or God, you decide. And so they beat them and they let them go, right? And then they go pray this prayer after that. Verse 23 of Acts chapter 4 says, and being let go... They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then they go on to this you know, wonderful prayer. But they start their prayer by worshiping and praising God, right? You could imagine what would happen after you got persecuted for serving the Lord, you know what I mean? And you go back to the prayer meeting, and the first thing out of your mouth is, Lord, get them, you know, please, I hate this, fix my broken arm. I got beat with a rod earlier today, man. You know, and instead, they're like, Lord, you are a God who made everything, the heaven and the earth, all the birds and the sea, everything, all this stuff, you made it, you know, and they're praising the Lord. That's good to start your prayer like that, by the way, you know, because you get in the right mindset, you know, it's like, who is this God you're talking to? It's the God that's worthy of worship and praise and adoration, and he's worthy of all of it. And so you get your heart in that mindset before you sit down and pray. There's nothing wrong with going to God and just going, oh, please help me. You know, like if you don't have time for the other stuff, like, you know, like you're, you know, you're rolling down a hill because you slipped and you're like, oh, God, help. You know, you're not, you're not going to roll down the hill like, oh, Lord, you're so good and I praise you. And it's just, okay. you know, just, just go ahead and get to it, you know. I mean, you're bouncing like cartwheeling, you know, and. Just, it's okay, you know. Remember Peter, you know, he was going to sink that day out in the water. He says, come out on the water. Okay. And then he starts to look at his circumstances instead of Jesus, and he starts to sink, right? Lord, save me. That was a good prayer. He didn't stop and say, oh, majestic heavenly father, and, the, you know, you spoke the earth into existence, and the petition is the next one. Let's look at that one. Um, some people don't think that praying for their needs to be met is a good thing to do. Have you ever run into that? People say, I don't, I don't think about myself in prayer. Well, uh, they don't think it's very spiritual to do, or they don't think that they should be doing something. Well, let me tell you, Jesus would disagree with you. Look at Matthew chapter 6 again, and uh, verse 10 through 13. I'll show you that Jesus doesn't disagree with that attitude that it's not good to pray for yourself. <clears throat> he says this, uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I need that. You know, I got to eat. He goes on to say, forgive us our debts. Matthew 6, 12. That's forgive me of my sins. I need this stuff. I need to eat and I need my sins forgiven. One thing's for sure. Today, I need to eat and I need my sins forgiven. And so it's okay to ask God for those things. Jesus is teaching his disciples to ask God the Father for their needs to be met. It's okay, right? Lead us not into temptation. Man, don't you need that? Don't you need God's help with that? Lord, help me to be like you today, not to give into this temptation and go and be something else other than I want to be like Christ, right? And I got a million things coming at me that tempt me to not be like Christ, right? And so it's okay to ask God to have your needs met. Those are personal petitions for personal needs to be met. It's a good thing to recognize God as the provider and to cry out to him for your needs to be met, for food, for money, for health, for wisdom, for the bills to get paid, for your prodigal kid to stop being a prodigal and come home, for whatever it is, right? It's a good thing to ask God for these things. In fact, it shows him that you're dependent upon him, right? And it's a good thing. I mean, what father doesn't like to, you know, have his kid acknowledge the fact that the kid is dependent on the father. You know, maybe not when they're like 30, you know what I mean? But I mean, you get the idea though, like dad likes it when you go to him and you tell him, hey, I, I recognize that all good things come from you. And God, our father likes that to hear through that through our whole lives, you know, because we're always his kid, right? 
We're always dependent upon him. Paul also encourages us to pray for our needs in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Remember, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's saying the things that are on your heart that you need, rather than be anxious and worried and filled with anxiety and all this stuff, rather than do all that, Paul says, Pray to God for all these needs and be thankful in your prayers to God for all these things. It's the biblical cure for anxiety, one of them right there. One of, the, one of the things that helps us with our anxiety as humans is praying to God for our needs, right? Next example. So, so far we've had praise and worship, then we have petition, and now we have intercession. Praying for others. This is where prayer gets laborious, right? The devil really starts attacking here. You ever want to know if there's a real devil? Commit to start praying for other people. And you will get attacked, like you you get distracted, you'll sit down to pray and you'll, you'll start getting all this ambition to do these things that you haven't done your whole life, you know, that you've been putting off for some reason, you get sleepy, your phone's ringing, you know what I mean, the cat's throwing up on the floor, you're, I mean, you're just like, what the heck is going on? I'm trying to pray. Now, prayer is, intercession is work. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, let me read this verse. Paul is talking about this minister. Uh, his name's Epaphras. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, here's what it says. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Epaphras is laboring fervently for them in prayers. You know what fervent means, right? It means hot, Right? His prayers are hot, and this guy is laboring fervently, right? So intercessory prayer is laborious, right? It's hard work. Examples in the scripture, wow, I have too many here. Okay, let me just read one of them that's probably familiar to you. You know, in Genesis chapter 18, go back to the Old Testament again. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 18, God is going to destroy Sodom, Right? But there's this family that lives there that are relatives of Abraham. And uh, you guys remember their name? Extra credit if you do. Lot. Okay, easy one. All right. Okay, so Lot's family is living in Sodom. And then God's like, I'm going to destroy the place. And then you guys remember what happened? Abraham goes to him and he says, um, you know, I'll paraphrase here. He says, essentially, he goes, what if you found 50 righteous people in Sodom, God? Would you still destroy it? Far be it from you to destroy the righteous along with the wicked, which totally an aside is a great verse pointing towards pre-tribulation rapture, okay? Totally just threw that in your thinking there and you're like, why did you do that? Now I'm going to think about that, the whole message. Okay, back to prayer. Intercessory prayer. That's what Abraham's doing. If you find 50 righteous people in this city of Sodom, God, would you destroy the whole thing? I mean, he's... He's pleading with God. He's saying, look, what if there are righteous people in Sodom? Yeah, I mean, the majority of it's just totally corrupt, you know. Um, you know, fire brimstone. I, I get why you want to do that, God. But what if there were 50 people there that were righteous? And God said, nope, wouldn't destroy it then if there were 50 righteous. Then you know how the, the story goes. Abraham comes back and goes, well, what about 45? Well, God says, no, I wouldn't do it for 45, 35, you know, all the way down to 10. And the whole point is, is Abraham, God is like teaching Abraham how to intercede for people, right? And he's appealing to God based on God's character. He's saying, God, you're righteous. There's no reason that a righteous God would punish his people. 
like he would punish the wicked. That's his whole basis for his prayer there. But Abraham is taking God's character and he's presenting it to God on the behalf of other people. And that's a great picture of what it is to intercede for people, is you're laboring for them. You're appealing to God on the behalf of these people, you know, based on who God is. There are a bunch more examples. If you want one, if you're a note taker and you're writing this down, you could look at Exodus chapter 32, uh, verses 7 through 14. That's the, that's the golden calf incident. Uh, Abraham or Moses comes down from the mountain. All these people are partied out, like totally having, you know, literally it says like orgies. It's weird. And God's going to like destroy them. And uh, Abraham says, uh, you know, essentially appeals to him. He intercedes for him and, and says, yeah, they're stiff-necked people, but uh, just don't destroy them. And it's a good example of intercession. It's in Exodus 32, 7 through 14. You can read that later. For time's sake, I'm not going to go through it all. Jesus intercedes. There's another example in the Bible. He prays for you and me in John 17. And uh, that's some good homework too. read the chapter in John 17. So prayer is talking with God. It's praising and worshiping, petitioning and interceding for others. Now, number two, why should we pray? So this one, um, maybe this is where you're struggling today. One of the best um, answers, I guess, that I've heard for why do we pray if God knows everything? Because there's not really a Bible verse that's, you know, you can't look up for that specific answer for that verse. You know, like, oh, here's why you pray if God knows everything. One thing that I know that's true is, again, fathers like it when their kids ask for things. Like, you dads, you know you got to feed your kids. And uh, you know that you got you to bless them and do some certain things um, in their lives, you know, and uh, isn't it nice when they ask you and when they acknowledge the fact they're dependent upon you? I think that's a good thing, all right? So that's a good reason to pray, even though God knows, like, everything. He knows what you need before you need it. Um, one other thing that is incredibly clear when you read scriptures are there are many times in the scriptures when God does things only because people pray, you know, and I don't, I don't have my mind wrapped around that fully as a pastor. I, I can't stand up here and tell you that I know the mind of God. The Bible says, who knows the mind of God? I don't know. But I know for certain that there are examples in the Bible of God doing things that he otherwise would not have done unless people prayed. And so why pray when God knows everything? God knows everything and he wants to do things in your life, but there are things that he is only going to do in your life when you pray, right? And when you ask him to do them. You know, that begs the question, I wonder what God wants to do in your life that you're just, you're not tapping into because you're not asking him. Remember in James, it says you do not have because you, you do not ask, right? How many things are like that, you know, in our lives? So another one, many of my prayers don't get answered and people want to know why don't a lot of prayers get, get answered. And well, I will tell you, this is the complex question, um, and it might, you might not like the answer to it. I might not like the answer to it. But God does answer every prayer with either a yes, no, or a not now. That's the truth. He either says yes, no, or not now. I think a lot of my prayers are like a kid asking dad for Oreos for three meals a day. <laughs> and he's just like, no, <laughs> that's not good for you. A lot of the stuff I probably pray for and ask for is like, I have this very narrow focus that's focused on Adam Tyler, you know, and, 
a lot of my prayers are probably not in alignment with the will of God. And so that's, that's one reason why God doesn't answer prayer is because the prayer isn't in alignment with the will of God. And that's clear throughout scripture. Another one um, for husbands, this one's hardcore, man. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase, but it says, if you're not understanding of your wife and you're harsh with your wife, like God doesn't answer your prayers. 1 Peter chapter 3, read it for yourself. If you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, it hinders your prayers, according to what Peter says there. Another one that is... um, all throughout scripture is that God doesn't answer prayer of people that are living in unconfessed sin. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear my prayers. If I am blatantly walking in sin, the next prayer that God wants to hear out of me is I repent of that sin, please forgive me. Otherwise your prayers are hindered is what the Bible says. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I love sin, I can't expect God to answer my prayers. Another reason that the Bible sets forth in the book of James is it says God won't answer prayers for people that are double-minded. Now, what double-minded means is you're going in two directions at at once. Like, I want to live for myself, but I want to live for Christ. But I want to live for myself, but I want to live for Christ. Double-minded man should not expect that he would receive anything, is what it says in the book of James. I believe it's in chapter 2. Now, on the other hand... Your walking with the Lord, your walk might be perfect. One thing that might be going on is God might not be answering a particular prayer in your life because he's training you to pray. He's training you to depend on him for a long period of time. You might say, man, I've been walking with the Lord and I'm not living in unconfessed sin and all this stuff. And and I know things are, you know, my walk's good and, and, and all this. And God might just be teaching you to be persistent. He might be teaching you, um, perseverance, right? And, you know, look at how he did it with Abraham as he was interceding even for Sodom. He, he taught Abraham to keep coming back and coming back and being um, persistent in his prayer. And that's something that, that's a valuable lesson that the Lord teaches us, right? Like, imagine, you know, here again, you know, you're a father and your kid comes up to you and says, I want something. And you say, well, let's just see how it goes. You know what I mean? Like, because you probably, you know, you said you want that remote control car and you were like, you know, you didn't want that thing like a week later. You know what I mean? You wanted to start playing, you know, drums and stuff. And then like, we bought this drum set for you and then you gave up on it. You know what I mean? So it's like, do you, do you really want it? You know, I mean, is this something that, you know, and maybe God's training us, you know, to, uh, to, to, to be serious and, and, Maybe he's drawing these things out of us, you know. He answers all prayers with a yes, no, or not yet. Now, one of the main reasons that I've come across in my own life and in the life of the church and stuff that why God doesn't answer prayers is because prayers are just, you know, for my own selfish desires, right? And the Bible says that you don't have that you do not ask. And when you do ask, you ask amiss because you ask to spend it on your pleasures. If most people... Think of prayer. This goes back to the beginning of what prayer is not. Prayer is not like rubbing a genie, you know? And that is what Oprah has turned it into, you know? And that's what the New Age movement that calls itself, like that's tried to mingle with Christianity and it's become this like watered down, weird Christianity has turned it into like genie lamp rubbing, you know? Like if I do the things that please God, I can rub the lamp and the right things are gonna happen. And, and that's, that's not what prayer is about. When Jesus says in the Lord's prayer, he says, yeah, you should ask for your daily bread and you should ask for your sins to be forgiven. But the beginning of that prayer says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done, right? So the main thrust of prayer is to get God's will done in my life, right? That's the main purpose of prayer is to have God's will done in my life. I'm praying, Lord, make me more like Jesus. I know that's God's will. That is a painful prayer. Uh, you want to experience <laughs> some, some tribulation? Go pray sincerely that God makes you more like Jesus. Right? You know, like, uh, it reminds me of the story I heard of the pastor that asked, the, he was a new pastor, and he asked the old pastor, he says, pray for me for patience. And so the guy said, okay. And he sat him right down right there. And he goes, Lord, send trials and tribulation into this life. And the guy's like, no, not that. You know, reminds me of another time where there was a new preacher and he started out and, and he was new at the church that week. And then the people were leaving the church and, you know, they said, what did you think of the new guy? He was up there preaching and, and the, the dear old saint, you know, came up and she said, he'll be good after a few, you know, problems, you know, in life. After he gets his leg broken a few times and things like that. You know what I mean? And it's not about getting my will done. It's about getting the it's well done, right? It's about Him. Make us like Christ. Your will be done, Lord. Reasons we pray. I'm going to give you some here. First of all, to get God's solutions for various situations. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 6, if you will. It's good to pray before a major decision in life, right? <clears throat> Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. Luke 6, verse 12, Now it came to pass in those days that he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from there he chose twelve, whom he also named disciples. Okay, you got a major decision coming up in your life? What kind of job should I take? Who should I date? What kind of friends should I have? Should I do this? Should I go to camp? Should I not? Should I enroll in this class or that class? You've got big decisions happening in life. Well, Jesus, God in the flesh, he sits up all night in prayer is what it says, and he prays all night before he picks his 12 apostles, the disciples. Which that's kind of funny because he goes down and he, he picks tax collectors and fishermen and zealots and all these people that are just like you and me. You know, it's like, you know. But he spent all night in prayer doing that. This is Jesus. Jesus thought it was important enough to, to do like a, you know, what, a 12-hour prayer meeting, a 10-hour prayer meeting by himself, asking. Turn to Matthew chapter 17, please, verses 14 through 21. So we pray before major decisions in life. Another one is to overcome demonic barriers. Matthew chapter 17 Verses 14 through 21. When they, had come down, uh, when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down, saying to him, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and se suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. You guys remember this? Then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, why could we not cast this demon out? Interesting question. 
The disciples are curious why they couldn't cast the demon out of this kid. And so Jesus said to them, verse 20, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then verse 21, look at this. However, this kind, referring to that kind of demon, does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Apparently, Jesus says this demon that this kid had, for one, you can't cast him out because of unbelief. But furthermore, this type of demon only goes out when you're like prayed up and you've been fasting, right? And so we pray to overcome demonic barriers. <clears throat> we pray for help to overcome the temptation to sin. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 41 says, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Some people are constantly falling in the same sin over and over again. You know, somebody's like, I got a massive anger problem. You know, somebody else says, I got a lust problem. Somebody else, I got a shopping problem. I got a food problem. I've got, you know, all these different things. Well, we're to pray that we don't enter into temptation, right? I should be starting my day and say, Lord, I've really come to realize the fact that I've got a short fuse. <laughs> so I need to sit and pray this morning. Help me not enter into this temptation, Lord. Help me not to give into this temptation. That's another reason to pray. <clears throat> Pray for our needs to be met. Here's another prayer, uh, reason that we pray. We pray because we need wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5. We pray because we need wisdom. Um, got some teenagers in the room. You need wisdom. I know you don't think so. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just joking with you. You need wisdom, though. Adults need wisdom. See, the older you get, if you're humble, the older you get, the more you realize that you need wisdom, right? When you're young, you don't have any idea how bad you need wisdom, you know? <laughs> Especially if, you know, if you've got your self-esteem's all boosted up and all that stuff like that, you haven't had any trials in life, you know? You don't have any idea how bad you need wisdom. You need wisdom and I need wisdom. Good news. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. There's a promise in the Bible that if you need wisdom, that God will give it to you. Beautiful. Sometimes I don't feel like I take advantage of that enough, especially in marriage. You know, so many times I wish I would just sit and pray and ask the Lord for wisdom of how to be a good husband, you know, rather than just rushing in and just, just being this amazing fixer. I f I'll fix everything, and you know, or whatever it is, or, you know teach my wife something, you know, right? No, no. Lord, give me wisdom. Tell me to stop being like that, you know? Oh, my gosh. You see, guys, women, you hear the reaction of the women? All these men in here are like, we thought we were helping. We're trying to just teach you, you know? We thought we were loving. Oh, my goodness. Lord, give us wisdom. Good news. He will give you wisdom right there. He promises he will. We pray for others to be strengthened spiritually. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 19. Um, uh, he says this, Ephesians chapter 6, 18 through 19. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me 
that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul is telling the Ephesian church, pray for me that I might open my mouth boldly for the gospel and that I might prosper spiritually in my ministry. So we pray for others that their ministries and that their work for the Lord and that their spiritual life will prosper, right? Early church prayed. Here's another reason. Um, boy, let's see what kind of time we have. 11.16. The early church prayed. There's a bunch of them in Acts. Uh, I'll read you one verse from Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is actually the memory verse this month for the kids. Um, we're teaching the kids about what it means to be the church. And... Um, this is what the early church did, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. By the way, this is what Calvary Chapel, Mason City, this is like our mission statement verse, if you will, one of them. Um, this is what we do here. Acts two forty-two says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. The early church prayed. Jesus prayed. Another reason that we pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says, now in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. If you know that whole story there, Jesus was like healing and casting out demons the whole night before, like late into the night, and then it says he woke up way before dawn here, and he goes out to a solitary place by himself to pray. Have you ever thought that through? That if Jesus Christ prays, we should pray, you know? I mean, I always thought of that. Like, he knows his dependence upon the Father. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 said this, says this, Therefore he, it's a capital H there, he's talking about Jesus. The author of the Hebrews is talking about Jesus here. And he says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus can save people from the uttermost. I like to say the guttermost. Jesus can save you from the guttermost, man. He can take the lowest form of life on this planet, human, and rehab them into this a great Christian. Seen it done a bunch of times. Therefore, he is also able to save to the guttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What does Jesus live to do? He lives to make intercession for you. He lives to pray for you. He lives to plead for you on your behalf. He's praying for you. Another reason to pray, and uh, this one's important too, is God commands it, right? He commands that we pray for our enemies. Matthew 5, Jesus says, pray for your enemies and those who spitefully use you, those who persecute you. That's a tough one. If you're going through life right now and you've lived for longer than, you know, a few weeks, somebody's done something wrong to you, right? And you're maybe holding on to that. And, but God says, look, we need to pray for our enemies, right? Um, to be obedient to him. He commands it. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who use you. Man, oh man, if that wasn't in the Bible, that's one of those where I'm like, gee, Lord, that's tough. The Bible says we're to pray for authorities. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says that we are to pray for kings and rulers and all who are in authority. You know, 
uh, that's that's a tough one for us too at times, depending on your political views. Like uh, you know, you might say, "I'll I don't want to pray for this guy." Well, you better pray. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, "Look, pray for the king, no matter who he is." The Bible says that everybody that's in an authority position, like a president, a world ruler, a dictator, or whatever, the Bible says that they're all there because God put them in that position. You might say, "How can that be?" Well, the Bible says it, and He God does. God doesn't always put somebody in office to bless you. Sometimes he puts somebody in office to make you get on your knees and to start seeking the Lord rather than the government, you know? I mean, that happens. You know, he's done it throughout the scriptures. You see it. So we're commanded to pray for our enemies. We're commanded to pray for authorities. We're commanded to pray. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It's not pray without ceasing. Pray with ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Keep doing it. Then the Bible also tells us to love our neighbor as ourself, which Jesus says is the greatest commandment, and that certainly includes praying for them, right? Because we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we pray effectively? And we're not going to take too long here uh, because really the simplest answer, how do we pray effectively is just do it. You know, you can read book upon book about prayer and um, that's taking away from your time to pray. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they all pretty much say the same thing, you know, like uh, this stuff, you know, and gives you a little basis. Um, but how to pray effectively, I'll just give you some suggestions here and we'll close. Just don't be double-minded, you know, decide whether you want to follow Jesus or whether you want to follow the world. You know, just, just decide which camp you're in. Like, are you a Christian? Are you following Christ? Or are you doing things the way that the world does them, really? I mean, and that's good for adults, young people, high schoolers. Are you going with the drift? Or are you going with Jesus? Don't be double-minded when you pray. Be fervent. James 5.16, purposefully put energy into your prayers. Sometimes you can't. You're worn out. You've got tons of things going. I understand that. I'm not trying to be condemning. I'm just saying... Be, in, be into it, you know. Choose to be into it. It's a choice. Uh, pray believing. That's another thing that's important too, is to pray in faith. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You have to believe that if you pray according to God's will, that he hears you and he answers these things. Maybe not on your timeline, but he answers and you believe that and you trust that. Be persistent. Remember Jesus taught the parable of the persistent widow that kept coming to the judge over and over. Give me justice. Give me justice, right? The lesson is be persistent in your prayer. Understand that you have a helper. Romans 8.26 says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Understand when you sit down to pray that the Holy Spirit helps you to intercede. I'll read the verse. Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray what we should, or for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So my understanding of that is there's times where I come to pray and I say, I don't even know how to pray, Lord. And I say, Holy Spirit, help me to pray. And the Holy Spirit, it says that the Holy Spirit makes these groanings that can't be uttered. Some people have understood that to be like, he's talking about praying in tongues right there, these groanings. You know, I'm not so sure because it says that the Spirit makes these utterances. Either way, the point of the verse that's clear as day is that we don't always know how we should pray and we're weak and the Holy Spirit will help us. Next thing that I'll uh, suggest to you is that you should ask the Lord for the gift of speaking in tongues. Now you read in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 where Paul talks about spiritual gifts. Paul says in those chapters, I thank God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Right? So the Apostle Paul uh, was a tongue speaker. You know? um, he also said that he did it not in the public assembly. And he said that he did it. Um, he said he even sang in tongues. He sang in the Spirit. But he, what you get from reading 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is that Paul was a frequent tongue speaker in a private devotional sort of setting. You know? He prays to the Lord in this language that he doesn't even understand what it is. And it's a gift from God. And you ask God to give you this gift. And it helps your prayer life tremendously. Some people are tremendously blessed by this. Do all people speak in tongues? The Bible says no. All people don't speak with tongues. But it's a spiritual gift that God will give to people that ask. And so ask for the gift of tongues. It helps you to pray. And the last thing, and I'll end with this, is don't be a legalist. <laughs> don't leave here today going, gosh, I don't pray enough. I should pray more. Oh, darn it. And you go here, out of here all condemned and say, you know what? I'm going to set this rule. I'm going to pray for 30 minutes a day. And now, you know, wait a minute. That's not enough. Three hours a day. You know what I mean? I'm going to call my boss. I'm going to tell everybody to heck with life. I'm going to put a three-hour block of prayer and, and then God's going to love me. Then God's going to be happy with me when that happens. No, don't be a legalist. Don't make rules and regulations and put a bunch of man-made stuff on yourself. Just understand this is a beautiful blessing to be able to talk to the Lord. Start small talking with the Lord. Start small. Listen, I'm going to give you a, a challenge, okay? If you're saying, oh, Adam, there's a lot of good reasons to pray. I want to pray more. Okay, here's, here's a challenge for you this week. Go home and pray for 30 seconds one time this week for the church. Just pray, just intercede for the church. Everybody in here, take a mental snapshot of everybody here and say, look, God bless them. Pour out your blessings upon their life. Pour out your spirit upon their life. And start your prayer by going, hey, you are the God of heaven and earth that spoke everything into existence, the bird, the seas, the fish, every, all that thing, the Lord, and it all belongs to you. You're worthy of praise. You know, give me my daily bread. Please help me, Lord, with the things that I need in life. They all come from you. And Lord, would you bless my church family? Would you pour your spirit upon them? Would you meet all their needs? In Jesus' name, amen. That was 30 seconds. You do that once this week. That's your challenge. One 30-second prayer. 